A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. <laughs> Kia ora, everybody. I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories, and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care, and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In this episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Jane about the birth story of her son, Bo. Jane takes us through almost four years of trying to get pregnant, laparoscopic surgery, which revealed endometriosis, and three rounds of IVF. She shares with us how she managed to get through those experiences and gives us some advice for others who might be going through something similar. Jane also shares with us her birth experience and her experience bringing home her newborn. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. No problem. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Yeah, um, in my family, we've got me and my husband, Maddie. We've got our dog, Louie, our cat, Ralphie, and our little boy, Bo, and we live in Tikawiti. Awesome. Very cool. And do you want to take us through what the journey to pregnancy was like for you guys? Yeah, so our journey was actually quite long. It took us... From when we started trying, it was about four years until we finally managed to get pregnant. I had a few issues when I got my period. When I was a teenager, I was just in such a lot of pain. So I went on the pill when I was 15 and just stayed on it. It worked wonders. It took away my pain and it meant that I could kind of function normally. So I was about 25 when... I kind of was ready to come off. We were about to get married and kind of thinking forward that we would like to have a family, but we're kind of not really ready to start trying. But I just thought I'd heard that kind of took a little while for things to kind of regulate themselves after coming off the pill. So we just thought we'd give ourselves a little bit of time with that. Uh, I went to the doctor. Yeah. She gave me a massive box of condoms and kind of just said, you probably should start trying sooner rather than later based on the fact you've had so much pain in the past. But here are the condoms. She didn't want to try and push me into anything, obviously just trying to give advice, which I really appreciated because we had kind of planned that we would start our family kind of in the next couple of years, but we did want to travel and we wanted to do a few things with our house and things. But hearing that, it was kind of like the conversation we had was, well, what are we going to be sad about? when we're 60 you know are we going to be sad we didn't renovate a house we're probably no longer in or are we going to be sad that we missed our window to have kids and definitely kids are the priority yeah so kind of a hard conversation to have when you think you've got a plan but at the same time we still didn't know that we might have trouble it was just kind of I guess a warning so and didn't get through many of the condoms um just kind of 
chuck them to the side and just thought, well, we won't prevent pregnancy. We won't actively try, but we were quite happy with that. And then once I started regularly getting my period after coming off the pill, I just, it took me straight back to when it used to be really painful, but I was so sure that I didn't remember some of the things that were happening. Like my back would just ache and ache and ache. I would like get sore legs. I would get pain sitting down. I just, I'd vomit. Like I just had all of these things happening. I didn't quite understand it. Like it didn't seem like a normal thing to be happening just while I had my period. I didn't really know. Yeah. I didn't know other people that had those sort of things. So I went back to the doctor and I said, hey, look, I am regularly getting my period. I'm getting pain about when I should be ovulating, so I'm pretty sure that's happening. But there's something happening. And she said, yeah, I did wonder. She wasn't my doctor back when I was in high school, but she kind of thought, well, maybe there might be something a little bit deeper here. So by then, I think we'd been trying about a year and I had been tracking things and all that, but Nothing had happened, obviously, so we got referred to Fertility Associates in Hamilton, which was exciting, but a little bit nerve-wracking because I guess you don't really think that you're going to need to go somewhere that they're going to help with your fertility. We were only, I think I had just turned 26, my husband was 25, you know, we weren't, we didn't really think we were at that stage of our lives. So we went there and as soon as we kind of got there, the doctor kind of said, look, had a read and I'm thinking we need to refer you for surgery to rule out endometriosis. And I hadn't really heard of endometriosis before. And if I had, it was kind of people ending up in hospital and, you know, it was the really extreme side of it. So I really didn't think it applied to me, but that's what she thought. Then I was, yep, let's tick that off the list. Let's get rid of that idea. And then we can carry on with something else if it's not that. So we did, in the meantime, we did a few tests and things. We nailed all of them, like passed with flying colors, which is great. <laughs> but I guess we were looking for an answer and we didn't have one. Yeah. So we carried on with that. And I think it was five months between when we first went to Fertility Associates to when I got my op. And yeah, it turns out I had stage one endometriosis, which is the most minor stage. I didn't have extensive scar tissue or anything like that. They only removed a small amount. And we were told that it actually probably wasn't in an area that would affect pregnancy for us. So while that was really good news, it kind of didn't explain anything. Mm. And because we were only stage one, it didn't help us in terms of getting funding for treatment. We didn't qualify for anything because of our age and because... We hadn't had any previous pregnancies and they couldn't really pin it on anything really. So we were kind of put in the unexplained infertility category, which is a hard place to be because what can you do to help yourself if there's not really anything wrong? Yeah. So I kind of decided that I needed to get serious about my own health. I had read that with endometriosis, diet can help. So things like wheat and things like that. Cutting them out can help reduce symptoms. I was a bit overweight, I think. So funding for IVF, you have to be, your BMI has to be under 30. And I think mine was maybe 32. So that's kind of a significant amount that I needed to lose. So I didn't want my weight to be the reason that we were told that we weren't getting pregnant. And I didn't want it to be the reason that we couldn't get IVF 
when we finally were able to. So I kind of really tried to put the effort in and kind of went on a bit of a health kick. I ended up losing 20 kilos, which got me into the bracket I needed to be in. So as soon as our number came up, we were able to get it because my doctor had said to me, look, if they change the criteria overnight, you want to know that you're eligible. You know, you don't want to know that you're 20 kilos away from being eligible, which I needed to hear. And it kind of gave me the kick up the bum that I needed. After that, we were kind of told by fertility associates that our best option would be IVF. They said not to worry about any of the other treatments because they knew I ovulated regularly. I had regular periods and all of that sort of stuff. But because endometriosis is an inflammatory disease, they kind of don't know how it affects the egg's journey down the fallopian tubes and in turn the sperm getting to an egg that's ready to fertilize. So I guess IVF was the one way they knew that those two were meeting, I guess. So that was kind of hard to hear because it's so expensive to start with. And you yeah. kind of don't really think going from having stage one endometriosis to suddenly needing kind of the top treatment. Well, that's kind of how I saw it anyway. So, yeah, we kind of mulled over that for a little while. Like I say, we did have plans. We had some money saved for renovations and we had other bits and pieces that we wanted to do. It was one of those things where we really just had to decide what was our priority and, yeah, family again came out on top. So. I think it was probably two and a half years after we started trying that we started IVF, our first cycle. And we did really well in that. All our results all through the cycle were really, really good. And we got to the end and it was just such a build up. I think our cycle was about a month and a half, which is long, but because of the endometriosis, they wanted to do a really gradual stimulation phase rather than just really go hard yeah. on it. So the day came for egg collection and there was just, it just felt so exciting. We, I was a bit nervous because I'd heard it's quite sore, but you just really want to know that magic number of how many eggs that they're going to be able to get. And they managed to get nine, which was just, we were really, really pleased with. It just felt good that, you know, our kind of effort with all the injections and all the appointments and scans and things, we felt like that was a good number. And based on that, they fertilize all the eggs that they take and then they ring you the next day with a number of how many have fertilized overnight. And we were so excited. We were sitting in bed, got the phone call and none of them had fertilized. So that was a massive blow. We hadn't even anticipated that that would be the outcome. I think that was quite naive of us actually, but I think we were just so hopeful and this was what was going to work and we just felt closer than we'd ever been. And then suddenly we felt further away than we'd ever been. and. Yeah, if this couldn't work for us, then we kind of didn't feel like anything would. It was, yeah, it was really yeah. hard to hear. And I just felt like we'd hit a brick wall. And I think that's the first time that we actually lost hope that we would actually be parents. And that was really, really hard. But, you know, it wasn't just that. It was that we'd spent all our money on it. <laughs> it was a huge yeah. risk and it really hadn't paid off. So we kind of tried to go about life again started saving our money again and kind of thought, right, we're not eligible for at least another four years for this treatment. We can't afford a full cycle again, so we're just going to go traveling. And we got a trip to Southeast Asia organized. We were going to go away for six weeks and just forget about all this baby stuff and just really just explore and have a good time. And just as I was about to confirm our itinerary, we got a phone call 
we were offered $6,000 towards another round of IVF, but this time with a micro-injection with a sperm. So they inject the sperm into the egg instead of just letting them go for it in a dish. It's just how I imagine it anyway. I'm not sure if there is a dish, but <laughs> I just feel like they let them go for it. They select a sperm. I don't know if there's like criteria or anything, but they select the sperm and then use a really, really micro thin needle to inject it into the egg. And we were told that if you've previously had no fertilization, then this is a really good way forward because it bypasses the outer membranes and the shell and all that, and it gets it right to the center. We had a really big chat and we knew what we were going to do, but you know, you have to talk your way through these things and we had to give up our holiday that we'd really tried hard to take our mind off this <laughs> baby making thing and it was back and it was back in full force and we really just had to commit to it. So we did again. So that was, I think, four months or five months after our failed attempt. And yeah, this time around, we actually re we got fertilized eggs, which was huge. We didn't think that that was going to be possible and it kind of gave us that renewed hope again. So we managed to sort out things pretty quickly and we managed to start the month later. I think just the way things were with my cycle, it worked out quite well. And they decided that because last time was such a fail, I guess, um, they didn't want to do anything that they'd done beforehand, just so that for us we felt a bit more hopeful and it felt like we were doing things differently. So they did a short cycle, they did different stimulation drugs, and basically they used the first day of your cycle. And by the day that you would kind of naturally ovulate is kind of when they do egg collection. So it's really quick. Well, it was a lot quicker than what we were used to. And we actually got really good results from this cycle. Um, we managed to get two usable embryos, both of which we transferred and they didn't work. But we still felt hopeful that this was the sort of treatment that we could use because when you finally get funded treatment, if that's what you need, they'll fund the extra cost of ICSI or, you know, whatever kind of oh, extras okay. you need. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of meant that at least we had tried that. We knew it worked enough to get us embryos at least. And then it almost felt like a practice run because we knew that hopefully funded treatment was in our future and we could kind of just leave it there. It didn't feel like it was the end of anything. It just felt like, cool, now we have the knowledge. We can go forward next time. And we kind of know what we need to ask for and what will kind of work, I guess, will work enough. So, yeah, yeah I guess it was about a year later that we managed to get another fund, or our first funded cycle. I had managed to get straight on the wait list based on an MRI that I had done, which found that I had endo within tissues, which they can't possibly see during surgery. But basically the reason I was getting so much pain was the tissues and things, when they've got scarring within them, they can't stretch and move the way that they would normally move, you know, just normally within the bodies. The wait list apparently is 12 to 18 months long. That's that's what they tell you. But then we kind of got pulled aside and said, look, it actually is more like 18 to 24 months just with current volumes. The government don't fund a lot of treatments each year so there's just quite a big backlog of people that are waiting for treatment which yeah I just yeah it's quite sad like I just can't imagine if we had had to go through the five years of trying without being able yeah. to fund our own cycle and then 
to be on the wait list for about 24 months. It just, you know, by then your window might be over. And I mm. can imagine that that's a lot of people's predicament. It's just, yeah, it's awful. Trying for a baby yeah. is awful. Like, no, yeah. I just don't think it matters how long you're trying. It's just such an anxious time. It does manage yeah. to take over your life as much as you try not to let it do that. So, yeah, we did three cycles of IVF and end. And I think that was four years from when we started trying to when we finally got pregnant. So, yeah, a bit of a long journey, but definitely one that we're glad we took because we got there in the end. And I think we grew a lot as a couple over that time as well. Yeah. And so did you sort of know that you were pregnant because you had done the cycle? So everything was monitored really closely. Do you want to take us through finding out? Yeah. So I'd made the mistake of testing early before. Um, (laughs) It's just, you know, when you actually know that there's an embryo in there and you're just waiting for it to stick, it's just, it's, yeah, it's exciting. It's nerve wracking. You just really want to know. And I had made the mistake of testing. I think one of the embryos that we transferred, I actually got a really faint positive. And I th- that we thought that was it. I just couldn't. I was so excited. And each day I tested thinking, oh, this is the day it's, it's going to be a bit darker. But it didn't ever get darker. And I was told that there was kind of trace amounts of the pregnancy hormone in my blood test. But it must have been like a really early miscarriage or they call it a chemical pregnancy. Yeah. Um, not a lot of people would, I guess, even know unless they're testing really early. So for the last embryo transfer, I decided, no, I'm not going to test early. I don't want to go through all that again. And we just need to wait. We need to be patient. We've waited this long. So we got the transfer done on a Monday and I made it through that whole week. And I really tried to keep myself busy and my blood test was the following Thursday. So that weekend we went out with friends. We just tried to, you know, pack as much in as possible so we weren't just sitting at home thinking about whether it worked or not. But then on the Sunday morning, I just felt different. And I know that sounds really cliche, but I just, I was filled with this hope and I just, I felt like I knew that I was going to get a positive result and I don't know why. Like I felt slightly nauseous, but then I was told that that was a symptom of the medication I was on for the cycle. I was told to expect nausea. So I was like, right, well, it's very early to expect that from a pregnancy. So I knew it wasn't that, but I just kind of felt like something was different. And I told myself, okay, well, if I, if I do test early, God willpower, um, (laughs) (laughs) I would do it the first morning wee because obviously that's when it's the strongest and I was quickly like no I went to the toilet came out and I was like no I didn't test so I can't do it today but yeah I don't have any willpower and next time I needed to go to the toilet I was like (laughs) I tested and I straight away regretted it because I was trying to be so strong and I just I was like no I can't even look at it shoved it back in the packet finished what I was doing I hopped up and I went to grab the test to chuck it in the bin because I didn't even want to look at it. But I'd ripped the packet as I was opening it and I could see that it was positive. (laughs) And my my jaw actually dropped, even though I felt like I was. I don't know. It was just the most kind of strange moment after that long of wanting to see those two lines. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I won't forget that ever. It was just amazing. 
Yeah, amazing. And did you have many sort of symptoms start from there? Did you notice many changes in your body in the early first trimester? Yeah, I did. I was quite sick. Um, I didn't vomit very often. And if I did, it was always at night. Um, I felt like my nausea just built from that day and never really went away until I was probably about 15 weeks, which, you know, you start to think, oh, my God, is it going to go away? Am I going to be one of those unlucky people that has it the entire time? But I just had massive food aversions. There was not much that I could stomach. And I felt that really early. So that first week that I knew, I was still a bit nauseous, but I did think it was just the medication. But then the following week, it just didn't let up. And I just I just couldn't eat what I wanted to eat. And then in the end, I didn't want to eat anything. And I think you have it in your head that, right, you're pregnant, you need to be eating the best kind of thing that you can. You're growing a person. And suddenly... All I could stomach was wheat bix and apples. <laughs> it was bizarre. Yeah. Like that was what I could keep down. So that's pretty much what I lived off. I'd have wheat bix for lunch, nothing for dinner, and I'd have apples in between. I basically, if I didn't eat every kind of two hours, I could almost time two hours from when I'd last eaten. I'd start to dry reach and I'd just feel even worse. It was yeah. weird. And were you planning on going through a midwife or did you need to go through an obstetrician because you'd done IVF? Do you want to take us through that? Yeah, I didn't actually get any advice around that. Where we are, we live in Tikwiti, so unless you want to travel for your appointments, midwife is kind of your option that you've got there. But we yeah. were kind of we were told that fertility associates would want information throughout the pregnancy and then once baby was born so yeah I I don't think it was much different really there used to be an extra scan that you had to get done and you used to have to have a hospital birth but that's all changed now yeah and did you end up just looking through the find my midwife website or how did you go about that yeah so I had been really excited to try and find my midwife because all of my friends had kind of had babies and they'd all been through it and they'd had a look through the website and, you know, and I'd never wanted to actually do any of that. I kind of always had this irrational fear that I would jinx myself if I got any kind of ahead of myself, if I looked for midwife or if I looked for baby gear or anything like that. So I just never did. And then when I finally got to, it was quite overwhelming. Like, you know, you'd think you know what you're looking for. It's hard to tell with all the pictures on the website and, you know, all the beautiful little spiels and what they believe in and all of that. In the end, I just got advice from some of my friends and one of my friends had actually had a baby the April that year and her midwife had been awesome. So I just ended up going with her and she was great. She was great. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. And how were you feeling sort of throughout the rest of your pregnancy, both physically and emotionally? I think. After the kind of 15 weeks of nausea and just extreme tiredness, my God, it's just, it's something else. I don't think anything can prepare you for here, how knackered you feel, but I felt great. I just think I was just so happy and so excited that it was finally my turn. There were nights where I was up probably like five times to go to the toilet. I don't think I slept through the night from when I found out I was pregnant just because I was always needing to go waste. I felt really good. I think about 30 weeks, I started waking kind of every hour or so with sore hips. But I was pregnant through like the heat of the summer. Bo was born in April and I, well, we got air conditioning because I didn't want to be that unbearable pregnant person. (laughs) And it ended up, yeah, 
I found pregnancy really, really good. I actually really miss it. And apart from, yeah, a bit of achiness and stuff, I found it quite good. I didn't have a lot of energy. I, um, I'm vegetarian and, and towards the end, I think I must've been like 34 weeks and it was my last week all about stuff. My whole body just felt tired. I just, yeah, I just had no energy. I had extra blood tests and apparently my iron was fine, but yeah, I just, I just felt stuff the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And did you end up doing any antenatal classes or any sort of birth education before you went into labor? Yeah, so um, we ended up doing an antenatal class, my husband and I, through the Tiamudu Birth Centre, and it was really, really good. Um, I I feel like a lot of the women say this, but I felt like I didn't learn a lot, but it was really nice to go and do it as a couple, and my husband didn't know anything about labour and anything like that, Like, so it was nice for him to kind of learn the first signs, know what to look for and things, and... I won't forget his face when he learned what a mucus plug was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, all of these little things that he'd never even heard of and no, it was really good. And I think the lady that took our class, she was a hypnobirthing practitioner. So it kind of had elements of that sort of mindset in it. Like she would call the contractions, oh, what did she call them? Surges? Yes, power surges. Yeah. So she'd call them that and it was pressure and not pain and, you know, she kind of helped us with affirmations and all of that sort of stuff. So that was really quite cool and, like, she went through the different pain relief and I thought it was really informative in that there was actually no judgmental bias towards anything, which was really, really yeah. nice because I think being informed is the main thing. If you can go and informed. Yeah. It makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And did you end up going into spontaneous labor? Yeah, I did. Um, I had been at a wedding actually on the weekend before and it was 38.4 or something. And everybody had said, oh, no, you've got ages to go. And I felt so disheartened. They're like, no, nah, you don't look like you're going to have your baby anytime soon. <laughs> I was like, no, okay, carrying on then. And I just thought, right. This week I need to get our house sorted. I still had no energy. I definitely didn't get that surge of energy that people talk about towards the end. And that's why yeah. I kind of believed that maybe I wasn't close to the end either. But um, my due date was the following Wednesday. So the Tuesday night, went to bed, kind of had had a lot of activity, like movement and things that night. Like I text my midwife because I felt like he was almost trying to jump out the sunroof. Like... <laughs> I could see my belly moving. It was ridiculous. Like he hadn't moved that much the whole time he'd been in my belly. And it was quite strange. Like I just felt a bit funny, but I was like, oh, it must have been because I'd been for a walk that day. And I just, I was like, I must be really, really tired. So we went to bed at about half past 10 and I hadn't heard back from my midwife, but I knew that if it was kind of a problem, I would have heard back from her. I kind of yeah. thought, well, I know decreased movement's a bit of a concern, but I didn't know if increased movement was. Um, went to bed about half past 10, went straight to sleep, but I think I must have been awake for a little while because I woke up around one o'clock and I knew that I'd been having like cramping, but I had been having cramping, like period type cramping from about 36 weeks, just on and off and never built or kind of came to anything. And I never actually thought I was in labor, but was just kind of achy and it just felt 
actually like I had my period. And I was like, oh, that's happening again. And I got up to go to the loo and I had lots of blood all in the toilet. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, okay, I don't know what this means. I knew that if you lose your mucus plug, it doesn't necessarily mean you're in labor. But I wasn't sure about the blood. So I was like, shit, I better just Google this. I wasn't really uncomfortable or anything, but I was just kind of, I knew I'd been having kind of niggles, but definitely hadn't built or gone to anything. So yeah, I had a quick Google while I was on the loo. And it was it said that you might not be in labor yet, but it means that it's probably going to happen in the next couple of days. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just go back to bed. And that was like one o'clock. And then by half past one, I had started timing because these contractions started coming about quarter past and they were about three minutes apart for the first three hours. We kind of had a running joke that he would be born on the 3rd of April and that was the day that my husband had his leaving kind of morning tea, I guess, from his job. (laughs) He was finishing up at the end of the week and he didn't want to do a speech. So he's like, if you could have him on the 3rd, that'd be real good. So yeah, kind of a joke. And I didn't want to get his hopes up just in case that kind of didn't come to anything. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of, yeah, I went out to the lounge and I just kind of crouched on the floor and had my arms up on the couch and just that seemed to be the most comfortable position. I tried the Swiss ball, but I just couldn't get comfortable anywhere. And I felt like they were coming really fast and it was a lot stronger than I thought it would be starting out, but I was managing to breathe through them and because we'd had our antenatal class with the hypnobirthing practitioner, she had kind of kind of piqued my interest, I guess. And I had looked into classes, but they didn't have any available in the short space between then and when we were giving birth. But I tried to read as much as I could. And I had these affirmations like, you know, every contraction is bringing you closer to meeting your baby and trying to like visualize a wave as your pain kind of peaks and then drops again and all those kind of things. And I felt really positive going into birth. I was never actually scared. I was just kind of excited to finally experience it. And it was happening a lot faster than I thought. And because we live about an hour away, we were birthing in Waikato Hospital. And we live about an hour away. So I kind of thought, oh, okay, I really need to like really start timing these properly because I don't know if we need to go to the hospital or not. I read back through the information from my midwife and it said that it had to be consistently for an hour, I think maybe two hours on your first baby. So I was like, oh, we're kind of not there yet, but man, it was intense. I didn't feel like I could do anything. Like, you know, some of the stories you hear are people when they start like vacuuming the floor or, you know, doing all these last minute Mm -hmm. jobs. I couldn't really even move. I just felt like I was kind of just stuck even between contractions. I just was, yeah, I I didn't really, I couldn't move, even though that was kind of in my plan that I really wanted to be using gravity. Just, I don't know, something, I just couldn't do it. So I got up and at about four o'clock, I went and woke Maddie up and told him that I was in labor. And he's like, are you joking? He's like, are you joking? (laughs) Because I'm really tired. Like, no, I'm not joking. It's really happening. And then he just like sat bolt outright. It's like, oh my God, we're going to have a baby. And it was just like quite a cute moment, even though he was half asleep. But then I had a contraction and that brought it all back. But he was like grinning throughout this contraction and I'm like trying <laughs> not to like lose it. But I said to him, look, you go back to sleep. I'm just going to have a shower and I'm going to 
go back out to the lounge, I guess. But I sat down in the shower and just had like the water on my back and that was really, really nice. And kind of went on all fours because I just couldn't get comfortable any other position and the water on my back felt really, really good. And I was like, man, no one tells you how sore your back's going to be in labour. Like, that's not something I'd really heard. But I was like, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. Just get on with it. So I tried to wait as long as I could because she had told me that labour can slow down when you're travelling. And because we had an hour to go, I didn't really want to leave too soon because if you slow it down in the early stages, it can prolong it. But by then, I think it was kind of between four minutes and seven minutes each time. And she was just like, look, they're not going to be regular. Maybe you should just come in. Yeah. So I think we left our house at about nine o'clock in the morning. So I've been going a little while since then, well, since I started. And we got to the hospital about 10 o'clock. And I had spent the, host- the car ride like on all fours in the passenger seat. It was so awkward. Like I just <laughs> sitting down in the car, my back felt like it was going to explode. Like it was just awful. And same thing again. I just had no idea that back pain was going to be such a thing. But we got to the hospital. She took one look at me. She said, oh, we're going to have a baby today. She said, I think it might be this <laughs> evening. And I was like, oh, I just can't believe it. Like this is the best news. Like she's taking me seriously. I am in labor, but my water hadn't broken. So you know, you still almost doubt yourself when, you know, everything you've kind of seen is that big pop of waters and then suddenly you're in labour. Well, I didn't get that. But she examined me and she didn't really want to look at me afterwards. I was like, oh, God. She kind of, she just, she's like, right, I'll have a look. And my waters kind of leaked or broke out as she did it. And I said to her, yeah. oh, did you just break my waters? And she said, no, there was a big bulge there. I think they must have broken earlier, but your baby's head has plugged it. So I didn't actually lose any. It all just came gushing out. And as soon as that happened, the contractions ramped up even more because I guess there was nothing cushioning baby anymore. Yeah, she wouldn't really look at me. And I just, I had to say, well, how how dilated am I? And she said, well, you're only three, but that's okay. We just won't, we won't mention it to anyone at the hospital. We'll just keep you here because I was so terrified. I'd been told that, if you're not five centimetres, you can't be at the hospital. And, you know, oh, we okay. didn't really have anywhere to go. <laughs> I was yeah. needed to have a baby. And my pain was getting worse and worse, so I just, the idea of leaving, I just couldn't. And so, yeah, she said, right, we'll, we just won't mention it to anyone. You just stay here and we'll get you some gas and get you comfortable. There was a student midwife, actually, that came in and she was just, she was so funny. She was so enthusiastic about everything and, I was just trying to concentrate on, you know, getting through these contractions and she just wanted to do so much to help me, which was amazing. And she got out like a big kind of sheet and she was like, right, we're going to put this around your belly and we're going to like, you're going to lean into it. I think it's called rebozo. I'm not 100% sure, but she was trying to do that on me. And I just, I couldn't even walk. I couldn't, I don't know, I just couldn't even move, so it just didn't go down very well, like, pain-wise. But she's like, right, let's try it again, but we'll do it this way. And I was just like, oh, can, can I just, like, I just need to concentrate for a sec. She's like, no, 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 that's fine, you know, it's your birth, like, real just upbeat. And she was really lovely, but I just couldn't deal with her energy because <laughs> I didn't have any myself. But she, yeah, while my midwife went and kind of sorted everything, she kind of went through all that with me. She came, oh, my midwife Heather came back and she said, right, 
I think your baby might be posterior position. She said, I can tell by the shape of your belly. This baby's spine would make my belly like rounded, but it wasn't looking like that anymore. So she said, oh, I think your baby might be posterior, which means that we can try and do things to turn baby round, but it is going to mean that um, your labor might be a little bit longer, which is why you're only three centimeters. I was like, okay, let's get this baby turned. Like I was felt really positive. I was like, we're here, we're doing this. I'm finally going to meet my baby and we just need to get on with it. So the gas made me feel super spacey. I just felt like I was the only one in the room. Like, and they had to tell me, you have to breathe out between contractions to try and clear the gas out of your body so that you're not so spacey. But I just kept forgetting to do it. And I kept setting off the like emergency, not breathing little light uh, or alarm yeah. but it's just so hard when you're trying to concentrate and you actually have to remind yourself to breathe it's just bizarre so we did that I kind of felt like I was doing really well I was still managing to breathe through them but it was getting harder and harder like I just couldn't believe the intensity but they never kind of became consistent like the timing never ever settled into a proper rhythm yeah and yeah, I think there was a bit of concern that maybe I wasn't going to be able to do it myself, even right in the early stages with Bo being posterior. Um, yeah, it just wasn't looking great. And then his heart rate kept dipping. It, apparently it was still in the normal range, but yeah, it was just kind of all these little things that kind of crept in throughout the course of everything. At about, so I had my first exam at 10 o'clock in the morning and yeah, that was three centimetres. And in my head, I'm like, yep, cool. The stronger the contraction, the more it's doing its work. We're getting through it, breathing. I had the kind of end goal in mind. And I was, I thought I was doing really well. And I felt like I was getting closer and closer. And the whole time I was just thinking, oh my God, I'm going to meet my baby. But it's getting really hard to get through these contractions. And I really wanted to say, I don't think I can do this anymore. I thought, right, I think I need an epidural. But in our antenatal class the lady had said that if your partner says that it means they're probably pretty close to having the baby <laughs> and I didn't want to get anyone's hopes up <laughs> because I had no idea I had another exam I think it was about five o'clock in the evening and I was four centimeters so I just yeah lost it yeah. as much as I could with the amount of energy I had like I just felt so <laughs> defeated and I knew that I couldn't carry on another six hours just to gain another centimetre. I was absolutely shattered. Like, I guess I'd slept three hours maybe. Yeah. And, yeah, it was just really, really painful. And I just I wasn't dealing with the contractions with just the gas. So I asked if I could have an epidural. And they said, yeah, but we've actually had a couple of emergency seizures today. So the anesthesiologist I think that's who does it has been kept really busy and there's potentially going to be another one so we can't prioritize an epidural over those but we can get you set up and ready and in the meantime I had fentanyl I think it's called and it's one yep. that you can click a button and it, it, you can administer it yourself when you feel like you need it with the idea being that until I could have an epidural that's what I would use and then they would use the same line so it was already kind of set up a little bit so I felt like it was almost a good distraction having this little button I could push. 
but I don't feel like it really took much of the edge off, but I did feel like I was more kind of with it. So that was nice. I didn't feel so spacey. And then at about, I think it was about eight o'clock that night, I finally managed to get the epidural, which just changed everything. It was amazing. Like it meant that I could actually collect my thoughts. I could breathe. It just gave me a bit of a break. Yeah. And it lasted for about an hour and then it all kind of came back. I kind of didn't understand what was happening at first because I'd been so numb. And then suddenly things kind of crept back and then all of a sudden I was back to where I'd been. And I, was like, I thought I had an epidural. Like, I think I was so spacey. I just was quite confused about what was happening. And I don't really remember a lot, but um, I kind of asked, I was like, did I have an epidural? And they're like, yes, you had an epidural. We'll just get you some more. We just need to top you up. Honestly, I just, I don't have hospital notes because um, we left the book at home. So I don't actually know kind of the actual ins and outs of things, but I know that I needed a top up of whatever was in the epidural. And then once I'd been solidly on that, I think it was an hour they left me again. And once they realized it was working, they started giving me oxytocin just because my contractions weren't really, I guess, doing their thing as they should have been. And then after an hour of that again, so we were kind of at like 10, 11 o'clock my midwife came in and she was quite upset and I thought something was wrong, but she had just said, look, I've been here since 7.30 this morning. I can't trust myself that I will make decisions that are in your best interest because I don't think this is going to be straightforward. I've got one of the hospital midwives who's going to come and deliver your baby for you, but I'm really sorry I can't be here. She said, I, she said, I was going to sleep in my car just for a couple of hours, but I think I need to go home. I was like, oh, my God, Heather, you do need to go home. Do not sleep in your car. We will be fine. Like, it was quite a cold night, and I just couldn't imagine her going and curling up in her car, <laughs> and I knew we would be all right. So that was that was sad, you know, like you plan your birth and you expect them to be there, and when they're not, it is a bit of a shock. But I totally understood, and I could see that she was quite upset that she couldn't be there. So, yeah, we ended up having a really lovely hospital midwife, and she came on and we just had a bit of a chat. And I said, so when am I getting examined again? Because she told me that she could see on the monitor that I was having quite big contractions. I was like, yes, it's finally happening. And she said, well, we would usually examine you about four hours after you start having four contractions in 10 minutes. I was like, oh, cool. Okay, well, when will that be? She said, well, you're still not. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> It's taking forever. And she said, but how about we just say two o'clock? We'll, we'll examine you at two. I was like, okay, cool. She said, get some sleep and yeah, I'll wake you up at two and we'll have a look. I was like, okay, cool. And I think when they topped me up with the epidural, it was such a lot. Like I couldn't even lift my arms. I was just so numb everywhere. I yeah. could move my head, but yeah, I, one of the nurses, bless her, she was like, here, you might get thirsty. I'll pop your drink bottle next to you and you can just have a drink when you need to. But she popped it in like the crook of my arm and I, I couldn't get to it. Like oh, no. I couldn't move. Yeah. So I was just lying there, unable to move. And kind of throughout the night, my waters continued to leak out. And the next time I got checked, I was like shaking and freezing, but I couldn't tell. And yeah, because my water, my bed was just soaked. They'd put like a pad or something on, but it didn't really hold a lot, I don't think. So yeah, at two o'clock, she kind of woke me up. I had been awake and I'd heard 
that she'd had a doctor in to check baby's heart rate because it kept dipping again. And they were, they were kind of like, oh, it is okay. Let's just see how she is at this next check and then make a plan. And I remember hearing them say, we might need to get this baby out quickly, but let's just see. <clears throat> and in my kind of dazed and drugged state, I, I knew what that meant, but I just didn't really care. Like I just, I felt like I was quite out of it. And at one point I was just like, I don't really feel like doing this anymore. And I just thought, oh, I might just go home. <laughs> like, <laughs> just It just didn't occur to me that, no, this is something you've got to see through to the end while I was just, yeah, full of everything. So, yeah, she checked me at 2 o'clock and she was like, oh, my God, you're 10 centimetres dilated. I was like, oh, my God, what? And I just suddenly I was in it again. I was like, yes, okay, I'm giving birth. I'm going to have my baby. And it just kind of helped clear all the fog away, I guess. And I felt really ready. She's like, right, what we'll do is we'll sit you up. That'll help baby move further down the birth canal. She said, I've had a little feel, and I think he must have turned around. Well, not he. We actually didn't know what we were having. But um, baby's turned around, so I don't think um, he's in posterior position anymore. So this should be pretty good. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. She said, I'll be back at three, and we'll have a plan then, and you can start pushing. So. I was so excited, finally felt like we might be close. And then I was like, oh, my God, I've actually got to push this baby out. Like, I don't know why that hadn't occurred to me before. (laughs) But wriggled up the bed. I was still really numb, so they eased off the epidural so that I could start feeling when I was having contractions so that I knew when to push. When 3 o'clock rolled around, I still couldn't feel anything. And in the end, the midwife had to tell me when to push based on what was on the monitor because I really couldn't feel anything. And it's so strange. All I could feel was my face straining, but I couldn't feel that my body was doing anything. I didn't even know if I was doing it properly, but apparently (laughs) I was doing a good job. Um, She could feel that things were happening. But after an hour, there was still no baby. And because I'd been in labor for so long and they weren't sure when my waters had actually broken, they just were like, right, we need to get this baby out. Um, One of the registrars came in and... She had the Vontus and the forceps with the idea that the Vontus they'd try first and forceps were kind of like a last resort. And they kind of mentioned that, you know, baby might need to get out quickly. And I just took that to mean a cesarean again, which I wasn't opposed to, but I really wanted to try and do it myself because at that point I just needed baby out. And I knew that with the heart rate thing that perhaps there was probably a bit of distress happening with him. So I was like, right, I'm just ready for it to be over really. So yeah, I pushed by myself for an hour. She came in and got the Vontus on to his head and I had to push with each contraction and then they would pull with the Vontus. And I think I was so exhausted by then that I kept, I would vomit. <laughs> like, it just doesn't sound very glamorous at all, but I'd vomit kind of on the third push of each kind of, contraction I'd, it would just make me sick yeah. so I ended up having to have anti-nausea um, medicine because which they just plugged into the IV I guess but it was just the weirdest thing I was using all the energy I had to try and push this baby out not knowing or feeling how hard I was pushing and yeah I think it was just a little much the Vontus actually popped off his head and they were like oh so we need to tell you that um, the Vontus has actually ripped your baby's scalp, we haven't managed to get him out. So they're like, you need to quickly give us your consent. We need to do an episiotomy right now and we need to use the forceps right now. 
And I was like, yep, yep, do what you need to do. I can't feel it anyway. Yeah, basically within like in my next contraction, they were like, oh, look down, look down. And I was just thinking, oh, my God, I'm just trying hard not to spew. Can I just push, please? <laughs> like it, it didn't occur to me that actually I'd had my baby was right there between my legs. I was just trying so hard to concentrate on pushing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, there's my baby. And he just got plonked straight onto my chest. And I could see that his head, I'd been told that his head would be really swollen. He had a really big cone head and the top of it was really ripped. It was, oh, poor little baby. He was fine. He was here and he was on my chest and I was just over the moon. And because we didn't know what we were having, I kind of asked that when the baby was born, if Maddie could have a look first and then he could kind of share with me what we had. So he was like, oh, we've got a little boy. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Like, I don't know why the whole pregnancy I kind of felt like we were having a boy. But you just never know. Like, I had nothing to base that yeah. on. And it was, yeah, it was just amazing. Um, So he was on me for about five minutes. And he was squawking. And I kind of noticed he was grunting and kind of making a bit of noise. But I just thought, oh, he's just been born. That kind of been easy. But um, the doctor was like, oh, can we just have a little look at him? I was like, yeah, yeah, of course you can. Like, I was on cloud nine. I'd had my baby. I was so relieved it was over. And it just didn't occur to me to be worried. So they took him over to the table and I just kind of chatted to the nurses. And the midwife kind of said, wow, I can't believe you had him vaginally. He was born posterior and his chin wasn't tucked. It was his head was extended back, which was why I'd been in Mm. so much pain. But then they yeah. noticed that he was having trouble with his breathing. It was quite laboured and they could hear like rattling in his chest. So he'd been on me for, I think, five minutes, like not very long. And they're like, hey, can we just have a little look at your baby? I was like, yeah, like if you need to go for it. I didn't expect that that would be the last time that I saw him for hours. They took him over to examine him and they were like, right, we need to take him up to NICU he needs to be put on the CPAC machine just to help clear this fluid out of his lungs because he was born posterior. He wasn't squeezed the way that a baby born the correct way would have been. So he still had quite a lot of fluid sitting in his lungs from the amniotic fluid. And yeah, yeah, he was really kind of struggling for breath. So they whipped him up there and we were told as well, because he has such a significant cut on his head, that they would really want to monitor that and check for bruising and all of that sort of stuff. I really didn't expect that if I had a vaginal birth, I wouldn't get to see my baby after he was born. But that's what happened. I saw him for five minutes and then literally within 10 minutes of him being born, he was upstairs. My husband was gone with him. I said, go with him. Like, don't worry about me. And then I was just sitting in a room with the nurses, still couldn't feel anything, getting stitched up. And still couldn't quite believe that I'd had a baby. And um, Maddie came back down from the NICU about an hour later and he kind of said, oh, baby's doing really well. He's hooked up to the breathing machine and the heart rate monitor and all of those things. And he didn't really get a good look at him because of all the stuff on him, but he said he was really cute, which was awesome. <laughs> so I'd been stitched up. I'd had a bit of something to eat which was the first time since I had dinner before I went into labor. So I was pretty hungry. But yeah, I just, I felt really kind of strange. Like my baby wasn't with me. I couldn't feel that I'd given birth. I I knew I had. 
like I could see but yeah yeah, it was just a really strange feeling um our midwife was really awesome she arranged for us to have a shared room we were told we'd need to stay at the hospital that night because of um baby's head and probably potential breathing issues but they weren't sure kind of how quick that would be to fix and they also found that in his blood work that he had been in distress and his lactate levels were quite high so they needed them to come back down before he could be discharged so we got wheeled up to our room we quickly stopped off at Niku on the way so I think he was born at about five in the morning and this was about 8 30 in the morning that we got wheeled up and I couldn't move still I still didn't have feeling in my legs so we popped in but they were kind of changing shifts so I got there and the idea was that I'd stay there for a little while and try and feed him but because of all the things he was hooked up to they didn't want to mess with anything at that point and they were changing shift so they said look you can't actually stay here we'll take you up to your room and we'll let you know when you can come back down so I got to see him for about two minutes and then we went back to a hospital room and it was the weirdest thing just sitting there eating a cheese scone without a baby yeah yeah Yeah. really really strange but as soon as I got my feeling back in my legs, I could go down there. And it didn't really happen until about lunchtime. I think it was about quarter to 12 when I finally could actually stand to sit in a wheelchair. And they were quite surprised because that's a long time considering yeah. they turned the epidural off at three in the morning. Yeah, took a while. But we got there in the end, um, <laughs> managed to go down. And by then he had been taken off a lot of the little kind of wires and things and he just had the heart rate monitors and stuff on and they said oh do you want to hold him I said oh my god I'd love to hold him (laughs) and they said you can actually give him a feed if you like we've been giving him they'd given him like a a gel or something like that they'd given him just for a bit of energy I think it must have been glucose or something just because I hadn't managed to give him his first feed tried to feed him it was the most awkward thing ever I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't wearing breastfeeding clothes. I was wearing a big baggy T-shirt that I wore to the hospital to go into labor when I was in labor. And it was just, yeah, he didn't seem to know what he was doing. Even with the nurses helping, I didn't know what I was doing. And he just kind of was like a fish, like just kind of that mouth just open and shut, didn't really latch or anything. It was strange. So that kind of was a little bit of a fail, but I was like, right, that's okay. He's still tired. He had a rough go we'll get back on track when we get him back to the room. And it was about an hour and a half later we were back in the hospital room because I wasn't really I wasn't really able to stay long because I couldn't walk, I couldn't really move, and I needed an escort to and from. And they, I think they needed to do some extra tests on him just to make sure that everything was okay. So I went back up to the room. They said, look, just have a sleep, have a sleep, and then we will be in contact with you about how he's doing and when we went back up actually there was a nurse waiting for me she's like right I'm here to help you express some colostrum it's like okay I hadn't heard of that which I probably should have I've heard of it a lot since I had him but I didn't know about it it's something I probably would have done in preparation for his birth had I known but yeah I didn't know about it and yeah so she's I was really tired and she's like look I'm just gonna do it for you so I just lay there top off and she's just hand expressing this colostrum out for me which was lovely of her but it's a bit strange but yeah I think Bo came back up it was about half past two in the afternoon 
when they just wheeled him back up, they're like, cool, here's your baby. Oh my God, what do I do with him? <laughs> I had no idea. The nurse wasn't around. So we were just like, well, he's asleep. We'll just leave him because I don't know what to do. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was strange. But we ended up getting help from the hospital staff with feeding and things. And we had some beautiful nurses that looked after us really well, which was awesome. Oh, lovely. And how did you feel when you were sort of taking him home? Do you want to take us through that experience and how you felt those first few days when you were at home? Yeah. So we were really lucky that after the hospital stay, we were there for a night. We ended up in the Tiamudu birth centre for two more nights just because my milk hadn't come in and he was quite jaundiced because of his big cut on his head. So uh, I yeah. needed like supplemented supplement feeding and things so when we got home it was just so surreal we'd been away for five nights at that point I couldn't process it it was just the weirdest thing like it got really teary walking up the ramp to our house bringing this baby home and thinking oh my gosh this is the start of our new life like yeah it was just it was really really nice and I was quite relieved to be back in our own space because I guess you just want to be able to settle into your new normal and get used to what being a new mum's going to be like. But it's kind of an artificial environment as much as it's awesome having the help. You know, it's it's not real life. You don't have someone that you can just call every three hours to help you with your feeding. And I was really just wanting to get on with things. So we got home and it was about eight o'clock at night by the time we got home. And we just popped the TV on and Bo was still asleep in his capsule. And we were like, wow, okay, we did it. We've got our baby <laughs> home. And it was almost weird how normal it felt. But yeah, it was just, it was really awesome. We were just so excited. And that first night actually went, it was a bit of a dream. Like all our other feeds had been quite tricky and I felt like we finally got the hang of it. I had been given nipple shields kind of towards the end of our stay at the birth center. So yeah, that helped. And we were just kind of away. It was really awesome. Yeah, oh, lovely. And how did you find your physical recovery, obviously, from the episiotomy and forceps? You needed stitches. So how did you find that? Uh, I was quite sore. I tried to keep on top of the pain relief, but it just, yeah, I was quite sore for quite a while. And I think with um, the way he was inside as well, like my back and my hips and everything just ached yeah. for a little while afterwards. But in saying that, we were going for walks, like our walks, maybe a week after he was born. Like not strenuous walks, but, you know, I could get out and try to make the most of the nice weather. So yeah, as sore as I was, it wasn't debilitating or anything. And I do feel like I bounced back relatively quickly considering everything. Yeah. Awesome. And what about your sort of emotional recovery? Obviously, you had a long experience in the hospital and also a really long journey to pregnancy. So how were you feeling emotionally in those first couple of weeks? I think I was in a little bit of a bubble. I think the first couple of weeks, like I didn't get the baby blues at all. I didn't cry until he was about six weeks old. Like it was bizarre. I was expecting to because I guess through our journey to having him, I had kind of had a bit of anxiety and things. I thought, you know, definitely I would crash, but I didn't. It was really strange. It was almost like a calm had kind of come over me. And as hard as it is to be a new mum, it was exactly what I wanted. And that's yeah. not to say it wasn't hard and it wasn't challenging and all of that, but I really welcomed the challenges and all the hard stuff. But I think processing like how my birth went, and it's only been in the last couple of months that 
having him taken from me so quickly after he was born has really kind of played on my mind a little bit. Um, I think I naively thought that if you could birth your baby vaginally that you got that golden hour and it didn't ever occur to me that we would have a baby that would end up in NICU as short as this day was. So yeah, I feel like I'm still trying to process that and just how everything went. I had kind of struggled with the idea of whether I'd have baby in the hospital or the birth centre. And to me, the hospital just felt like the safer option. And had I not gone to the hospital, I just would have gone a lot differently. And yeah, I think I am still processing a lot of it. But yeah. I do feel just so over the moon that we have our boy and we just feel so lucky no matter what his entrance to the world was like, that he's here. Yeah, amazing. And how old is he now? He will be six months on Friday, so in two more days. Awesome. And are you still breastfeeding? How's that journey been for you? I'm expressing, actually. So Bo has had silent reflux, which hasn't been an easy time, but what it meant was um, he got quite put off feeding. He got a feeding aversion to me like feeding from me um so we managed to get on top of that by using a bottle and getting him on some medicine so he's actually doing really well now but he won't feed from me which is a shame because I was so excited to be able to breastfeed I guess everyone kind of doubts that they will be able to or you know what it's going to mean for them but I never had sore nipples I guess I used shields for the first five weeks but you know I loved breastfeeding. I had heaps of milk, no pain, and <laughs> the baby won't feed for me. So that's fine. <laughs> we got around that by expressing. So I've been exclusively pumping since he was three months old, I think. Yeah. And I only have to do two more days, and then I can feel happy that I've made it to six months, and <laughs> then I can start adding in some formula feeds, I think. No, it's just, yeah, it's been a journey, but it's been, I'm quite happy with how we've gone. Is even not yeah. hasn't been easy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just as we sort of wrap up, is there any, I guess, advice or from your experience that you'd love to impart to others who might be sort of going down the IVF track or having fertility issues at the moment? Is there anything that you would tell them or anything from your experience that you found helped or anything that you would sort of say? Yeah, I guess it can be a really isolating place to be when it seems like everybody around you is just popping out babies left, right and centre. Yeah. Um, re- for me, I really had to make an effort to look after my mental health because as much as you try and just, you know, carry on with things, it really does get on top of you. I found it really good to have somebody, like close friends that I could talk to about it and that I didn't have to feel like I had to censor myself. You know, they had children and I didn't ever want them to feel like they couldn't share anything about that with me. But at the same time, it worked both ways. I needed to know that I could just completely vent or, you know, get things off my chest. And it really felt good to be able to do that because it can really feel like a lonely place to be. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, find someone you can connect with. I don't really know. Like, there's not much when you're in it that can make it better. And it is just, it's torturous. It's just the waiting is awful. But I just hope that maybe some people do feel a bit of hope from the story because for us it really wasn't straightforward. And we just, like, in the middle of it all, we could never have imagined that we would ever be here with our beautiful boy and a family. We hoped and we prayed, but we, it's not a given. 
just find some support, I think, is the biggest takeaway from that. Yeah, no, I think that's very good advice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us, Jane. I think it's a really interesting one and it's, yeah, it's interesting to hear your story and I'm so glad that you've ended up where you are with your beautiful baby boy. So thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me, Jordan. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'd love to hear your feedback, so either leave a review on the podcast app that you're listening on or head to our Instagram at KiwiBirthTales and leave a comment there. If you're interested in sharing your birth tale, then please head to the Instagram page and use the email link to get in touch. Thanks again for listening. I really look forward to sharing the next episode with you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.